Tides have no effect on the moon. You've got more in common with crustaceans than you think. Humans shouldn't be so dependent on vines. Two peas are often just as close outside of a pod as inside. Peacock was a noun before it was a verb. All birds are just singing different parts of the same enormous song. Nobody starts hoarding acorns now. I love to cut freshly smelled grass. For shorts wearers, shorts weather means it's time for shorts. So many stars. Welcome now to Out of All Doors. Hello, and welcome to the 21st episode of Out of All Doors. I'm your host, Adam Drent, and if you're exactly like us, then you make a monthly podcast that's all about the outdoors called Out of All Doors. But if you're exactly like us, then you don't need me to tell you that. Although if you're exactly like us, you might enjoy having me tell you that, whether you need me to or not. Now, last year around this time, by which I mean the month of May, we put out an episode where we devoted a lot of time to declaring and proving that May is, in most ways, the birthday month. The month in which all people the world over should aspire to have birthdays. And if you want to hear that case made cogently, then I suggest going back and listening to that episode over and over until you believe it. But I'm not going to belabor the point here. I don't want to get too hung up on birthday stuff, but since it is the birthday month, it would just seem wrong to not at the very least touch on it, mention it in passing, or devote the entire intro to it. But this time, I want to turn my focus outward. I want to focus on my fellow contributors, many of whom are not so blessed as to have birthdays during the birthday month. And although that fact would, in many people's eyes, make it entirely inappropriate for them to receive gifts during this month, I'm going to throw tradition to the wind and give all of our regular contributors a gift in honor of the birthday month May. Or rather, I'm not going to give them gifts, but I'm going to say what I would give each of them as a gift if I were to break with tradition and give them gifts during the birthday month, even though their birthdays aren't in the birthday month. Which, of course, I would never do. That kind of behavior would be in the worst possible taste. So this should be fun. This will be like one of those clever little articles you see online where the writer says what gifts they would give to a bunch of celebrities or fictional characters or whatever. And it's funny because the gifts all have to do with what that person is most known for. Like, for example, let's say the person getting the gift is a celebrity who's infamous for oversharing on Twitter. Then the writer would say that they'd give the celebrity the gift of a hammer so the celebrity could smash his phone with it, which would prevent him from oversharing on Twitter. So as you can tell, this concept is very amusing. So each of these gifts will reveal a little something about the recipient, a little something about me, the giver, and your reaction to hearing them presented in a list format on a podcast will reveal a little something about you. And so, first of all, for my gifts to the Out of All Doors contributors, to the saint, I would give a comfortable shirt. Shirts are great and all, and many convenience stores make their service contingent upon you being able to truthfully answer yes to the question, shirt? But not all shirts are created comfortable, and those that aren't are the very shirts I would not give to the saint as a birthday month gift. To Jason and Casey, I would also give comfortable shirts. I feel like I could get a better deal on comfortable shirts if I bought them together, like maybe the store would have a buy two, get one 50% off deal. 
Actually, the deal would probably be even better if I were to purchase the comfortable shirts in bulk, which means that Harrison, Squall, Cayman, Cousin Ben, Cousin Brent, Dwayne, the Ghost Bat Queen, Matt, JJ, Aaron, the Gentleman's Mills co-founders, the Hat and the Dandy, Eugene in Portland, Eldon Langley, that theater guy who was obsessed with possums, Jay, the Ghost, that lady from Medium Line, they'd all get comfortable shirts too. You'll notice that I'm saying that even several contributors who I have open contempt for are getting comfortable shirts in honor of the birthday month. That's what a magical season this is and how good the bulk deal on comfortable shirts undoubtedly would be. And I'd give comfortable shirts to Andrew and Natalie too for sending in questions. I'd give comfortable shirts to anyone who's ever had anything to do with the show in any capacity. Comfortable shirts for everyone. It's the birthday month. If I forgot to mention you and you feel as if you've done something to deserve a comfortable shirt in honor of birthday month, please let me know and I will happily tell you that I would give you a comfortable shirt in honor of birthday month. But please keep in mind that you will not be receiving an actual gift because that would be grotesque. Let's begin, shall we? We step into the building and we're immediately engulfed by pigeons. There are pigeons everywhere, thousands of pigeons flying around, perched on every surface, strutting on the floor, landing on our heads and shoulders, feathers raining down, droppings raining down. There are paintings of pigeons on the walls and ceiling, whole murals featuring nothing but pigeons. We're overwhelmed with pigeons. It's hard to imagine a more pigeony place than this one. But in the very back of the room, in a small desk, in the bottom drawer, locked away is another creature, not even alive, but rather taxidermied and mounted under glass, a tiny creature of flawless form and nocturnal habits, hidden away from the frightful pigeonness of this place, but still, even hidden away, even in death, even in its diminutive size, its influence is undeniable. We have entered the Battery. It's tempting to imagine a perfect world populated by nothing but bats. But if there were only bats, how would anyone be aware of the superiority of bats to all other animals? There would be nothing for the bats to shine in comparison to, thereby rendering the world imperfect. Let me make you a counter-proposal. Imagine a world populated by nothing but bats and one dopey, clumsy red panda. Perfecto! Oh wait, no, what I've actually written there is perfection. Or imagine this world, a world populated by nothing but bats, but they have magazines full of pictures and descriptions of other kinds of animals, and it's clear from these pictures and descriptions that, if these other animals did exist, bats would be superior to them. And these magazines are free to any bat who wants to read them, not just available to the wealthiest bats or the bats of the most respected species. This world populated entirely by bats is immune to those kinds of social issues. All the bats understand that as long as the magazines are available to every bat in equal measure, then there will never be a single war. In fact, the bats don't even have a word for war. If they want to talk about war, they have to use a short, single-syllable word that means battle, but they precede that word with an adjective that means very large. Or imagine a world populated by nothing but bats, but... The moon is populated by nothing but skunks. But the bats and the skunks have no knowledge of each other because neither ever bothers with space travel. 
I don't think skunks are even capable of developing a space program. And while bats certainly are capable of developing a space program, I just can't imagine a situation in which they ever would, not even in my wildest fantasies. My brain just rejects it outright, like when someone says round square, or square circle, or two-dimensional cube, or Canadian pizza, or stop talking about bats. Or imagine a world populated by everything except bats and God destroys it like Sodom and Gomorrah. Or try imagining this world on for size. It's a world populated entirely by bats, but there are also insects for them to eat, because I just remember that insects are animals and bats love to eat insects, and it was kind of a serious oversight for me to leave them out of most, well, okay, all of the previously imagined worlds, but I'm rectifying that now, and this world populated entirely by bats also has insects for them to eat as will all of the remaining worlds I will be describing over the course of the remainder of this segment. Even if I neglect to mention the insects, please just assume that they are there. I would never want to deny the bats their primary source of sustenance and, let's face it, pleasure. And I hope they know me well enough to know that. Anyway, with that little embarrassment behind us, try imagining a world populated entirely by bats. But there's something interfering with their echolocation. What could it be? Well, a particularly adventurous bat and her handsome assistant bat. Search out the source of the interference and find that it's a mysterious and ancient pyramid submerged in the ocean. No one knows who built the pyramid or how they could have done it using only their bat hands and maybe a few primitive bat tools. Also, how did they do it underwater? Well, I've speculated myself into a corner, and I really don't think there's a way to resolve this without an egregious deus ex machina, so please stop imagining this particular world now. Oh, but before you stop imagining it, imagine that there are bugs in this world for the bats to hunt and eat. Imagine a world populated entirely by bats, but really consider it this time. Consider the consequences, consider the pros and cons. Think about the specific ways in which life on this world would be different from ours. Think about how different the economy would be, the infrastructure, the entertainment. I mean, think of how different the comics pages and the newspapers would be in a world populated entirely by bats. Have you ever really considered that? Don't just give it a few cursory thoughts and then move on with your mundane life. Think, man, think about a world populated entirely by bats. Think about how different something simple like a can opener would be. Heck, forget the can opener. Think about how different the can would be. Heck, forget the can. Think about how different thinking would be. Now imagine a world populated entirely by bats. Except also time travel is commonplace and everyone is immortal and the bats all communicate telepathically and they wear magical pendants that grant them wishes. But again, no space program. I'm sorry, but that's just a bridge too far. And finally, imagine a world populated by nothing but bats. But imagine that this world was once our world. That it once had people and dogs and whales and whale sharks and sharks and every other species that we know of. But something happened. We didn't respect the bats enough. And eventually, after centuries of insufficient respect, the bats simply eradicated us. Eradicated us all, every species of animal other than bats. And it was so easy for them. They didn't even break a sweat. They just decided to extinguish us, and that was all it took. Everything else was just mopping up. And do the bats miss us? Any of us? Sure, they didn't want to resort to eradicating us, but at a certain point, you can't just look the other way when you're being shown insufficient respect. You have to act. And they acted. 
Just kidding, this is all just make-believe, but still, it's food for thought. It's not that we don't notice all the pigeons. We do. Trust us, we do. It's just that as much as the pigeons certainly can touch our physical forms, they cannot come close to touching the immaterial parts of ourselves that we keep hidden away inside of us, like a taxidermy bat in a desk in a room full of pigeons. Are we saying that the taxidermy bat here in the battery is a metaphor for our souls? Man, I hope not. We'd better not be saying that. If we are saying that, then I propose we retract it immediately. Or, you know what? Maybe it would just be better if we leave the battery. All right, before you even ask, Grang, yes, we're recording. Uh, uh, where are you? You look much cleaner than you have the last few times we've talked. I take it you're not um, journeying down the river on a raft anymore? No, certainly not. My river raft journey seems like years ago now, Drent. I've moved well beyond that. I've been sleeping in a bedroom with a door and on a bed with a mattress for weeks now. And uh, since you're alive and you don't have any primitive arrows sticking out of you that I can see, I guess the uh, the assassins haven't gotten to you either? Uh, there were never any assassins, Drent, although I do appreciate your concern. But, but really, you don't need to worry. The Udavalds are a distant memory now, and I'm firmly established here in the quaint and lovely town of Croton. All right, so you're living in an actual town now. That's a uh, That's a big step up. Of course, you own a house in an actual town, but I suppose that isn't relevant. I'm sure your wife's taking good care of it without you. Uh, so so how did you end up in Croton? I, I suppose it's too much to assume that the login information for the blog is anywhere near there. Oh, it's it's amazing, Drent, the number of coincidences that brought me to this point. It's, it's almost like it was meant to be. And in fact, Adam says it was meant to be. He says it's just too perfect to have been a mere coincidence. Wait, okay, uh, Adam? Who's Adam? Wh- which Adam are you talking about? Adam's who I'm living with now here in Croton. I'm helping him run for a seat on the local school board here. Okay, I'm, I'm starting to realize I'm going to have to start from the beginning. Where, where was I last time we talked? You were floating downriver on a raft at an incredibly slow rate of speed while looking for a laptop that supposedly had the login information for the old Out of All Doors blog on it. Right. So after a few weeks of that, I was starting to get pretty exhausted and malnourished. And, well, to be honest, I was beginning to do a less than thorough job searching for the laptop. I had started to worry that I might have passed it up unknowingly and I might have to go back and backtrack. But then one day I fell asleep on the raft and I didn't wake up for what must have been several hours when my raft bumped up against a fallen tree near the bank of the river. And you know what I saw as soon as I woke up and took stock of my surroundings, Drent? A man sitting on the bank and looking with wonder upon a laptop computer. The laptop computer, Drent. And even better, it turns out that the chieftain's daughter, a real novice computer user, had left a document helpfully titled Blog Login Information right on the desktop. So I I can't even imagine how this doesn't lead to you getting the login information. It seems impossible. 
but it does lead to me getting the login information. It does. Well, it will. Okay, there we go. Back on familiar ground. I'll, I'll explain, Trent. Just hold on. This is going to totally blow your mind. So I get off my raft, and I approach the man with the laptop, and that man turns out to be Adam. So I ask him for the laptop, and then he tells me an amazing story about how he'd been running for a seat on his local school board, but then things hadn't been going very well for him recently, and he was just about to give up. And he'd even come down here to the riverside to make peace with the idea of giving up. But then, then he found the laptop, and he opened it and was amazed to find that it still had battery power. And what does he see on the desktop when he opens it? The login information for a blog called Out of All Doors. You're telling me that like it's a surprise revelation, Greg. I, I named the blog that. I know what the blog is named. But Dren had inspired him to keep running, to keep fighting for that school board seat. It was exactly what he needed to see to give him the energy to keep going. Why? Because, Drent, the whole slogan of his campaign for the school board is down with all doors. But, okay, that raises a lot of questions, but I feel like I should point out to you that the blog is called Out of All Doors. Out of All Doors, not Down with All Doors. Out. But... It's very close, Trent. Eerily close. And Adam took it as a sign that he should forge ahead with his campaign. I don't understand what kind of school board campaign would have down with all doors as its slogan. Well, Adam's running on just one issue, but it's something that he's very passionate about. And it's caused a lot of controversy in the community here. Some people are saying it's racist, but it's probably not. And as I said, he's very passionate about it. Well, this is all very ominous, and I'm almost afraid to ask, but what is this issue that Adam is so passionate about that is probably not racist? He's trying to reinstate the Jim Crow. He's trying to reinstate Jim Crow? No, of course not, Drent. That would be terrible. He's trying to reinstate the Jim Crow. There's a definite article in there. The Jim Crow? What what are you talking about, Grang? Sammy the Crow, the Croton High School mascot that they used to keep in the gym. Wait, the the G-Y-M Crow? uh, An actual crow like, like a bird except it lives in a gym? Yeah, Sammy, the Jim Crow. I'm I'm so lost. So people think it's racist because it sounds like, uh, you know, because no, no, that what it sounds like has nothing to do with it. It's clearly spelled G Y M. People think it's racist because supposedly some Crow Indians complained about it. Okay, but why would they complain about the use of an actual bird? Well, Sammy also had an Indian headdress and a miniature tomahawk tied to one of his wings. Why? Okay, this part of the story gets kind of complicated. So, up till a year ago, Croton High School hadn't had a mascot at all. They just went by the Croton High School teenagers. But somebody got the idea that they really ought to have a real mascot and that the students should nominate some mascot ideas and then vote on them. Well, when all the votes were counted, the Crows was the clear winner. However, a member of the mascot selection committee, who had been established to oversee the vote, pointed out that whoever had anonymously nominated the Crows as a mascot idea had not specified whether or not he or she had meant the bird or the Indian tribe. 
And I guess a lot of people pointed out that the student had almost certainly meant the bird because there aren't any Crow Indians in this area, as far as anyone knows. And also, Croton is sort of known for the thousands of crows that pass through there during their migrations every year. And also, there's a rock down by the river that looks exactly like a crow in profile. And many prominent citizens in town actually breed crows and show them at the annual Croton Crow Show. And the most famous local restaurant is even called The Rookery. But this mascot selection committee member was very vocal about the fact that the committee couldn't be absolutely sure that the student had meant the bird. And even when a student came forward and said that it had been her who had nominated the crow and that she had meant the bird and not the Indian tribe, the committee member pointed out that, well, she could have been lying and there was no way for her to prove that it had been her in the first place. This guy just really wouldn't bend, apparently. So finally, the only way to move forward was to compromise and make the mascot a combination of both the bird interpretation and the Indian tribe interpretation of the name. So that's why Sammy had to have the headdress and the tomahawk. Well, it, it sounds like a bird would hate that. Well, Drent, who can really say what a bird does or doesn't hate? They can't tell us with words, so we can really only judge based on their behavior. But yes, based on Sammy's behavior, he probably hated wearing the headdress and the tomahawk. I guess it made flying very difficult. The Croton High School Spirit Squad used to let Sammy out of his cage during halftime of basketball games, and he would sort of careen around the gym, crashing into people in the crowd, squawking and gouging them with his beak or his tomahawk or both. Apparently it was a real mess. Wait, so, so his tomahawk was real? No, 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 it wasn't real, Drent. It was miniature. But the blade was made of sharpened stone. But it was the objections of the Native Americans that made Sammy have to go, not the fact that he was clearly miserable and that he was actively harming people. Right, exactly. As usual, it was the alleged complaining of a vocal minority that ended an entire year of tradition at Croton High School. And that's what Adam's really against, the way these special interests force everyone to conform to what they want. And that's why he wants to reinstate the Jim Crow. I don't think I'm going to get used to hearing that. But, uh, but Greg, n- none of this explains why Down With All Doors is Adam's campaign slogan. Right. Well, when the Indians complained about the mascot and the current school board caved to the special interest, they decided to set up a new school mascot selection committee and have the students nominate another round of mascot ideas. Except this time all the mascot ideas had to be inoffensive. And then they got the results, and the top four nominations were the Bongs, the Capital Punishers, the Fighting Crows, and the Doors which was apparently submitted by a bored kid in detention who just wrote down the first thing he saw when he looked up. So since the committee determined that the Doors was the only inoffensive option out of the nominees, that one kind of won by default. So Croton High School is now the home of the Doors, and that just makes Adam sick. Thus the campaign, down with all Doors, reinstate the Jim Crow. Okay, well this is all sort of sort of falling into place, but I still don't understand how any of this relates to you or how it's going to lead to you getting the blog password. So, Drent, this is the really amazing part. 
So the reason why Adam was considering giving up on his campaign was because he went to the people in charge of the school board election to find out how to get his name on the ballot, and they told him that in order to do that, he had to fill out a special document called Form 9000068323. But unfortunately, they had lost their last copy of that form, so there was no way that he'd be able to fill it out and get on the ballot. They didn't have any idea what had happened to the last copy of the form, but it was gone and no one knew where it went. They didn't know if it was stolen or just misplaced or what. And so Adam had realized that his only hope of finding the form was to have a detective help him. But at that time, there weren't any detectives in Croton, and he couldn't afford to pay a detective from... Couldn't afford to pay a detective from another search from another city to search for the form. So that's why he had gone down to the river to just consider giving up. And then he saw the miraculous down with all doors message to him on the computer. Out of all doors. It said out of all doors on the computer. Yes, yes, out of all doors, which he reasonably interpreted as fate saying down with all doors. And then right after that, I showed up on the bank right in front of him with my sleuthing gear hanging conspicuously from my belt. And he saw my magnifying glass and fingerprint kit and deer stalker hat, and he knew right away that the universe had delivered a real detective right into his lap. And once he explained all this to me, I, of course, accepted the job right away. So how does all this extra detective stuff lead to you getting the password? Because, Drent, after I help him get elected, in lieu of payment for my services, he's promised to grant me one boon, I assume, of my choosing, at which point I will request the login information for the Down With All Doors blog. Out of all doors? And why don't you just ask him now? Why wouldn't he tell you? Is he a jerk or something? No, a jerk, no. He's an incredible, incredible guy, Drent. He's, he's really great. And no, he wouldn't give me the login information if I asked now, because the blog's just too important to him. It's the URL that gave him the hope he needed to continue his campaign, after all. But it's, but it's not even the right name. It's out, not down. Listen, I just checked. Downwithalldoors.wordpress.com is currently available. You could set that up for him. You know how to do that. Drent, listen, I understand that doing things the easy way can be very tempting, but if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. No shortcuts, no cutting corners. That's what dedication is, Drent. Sticking with a plan, seeing it through all the way to the end, making sure every lowercase i is dotted and every t, whether lower or uppercase, is crossed. Well, okay, that's very inspiring, Greg. So so we have to wait until the election is done. When is that? It seems like they'd have the election before summer so the board could be working on stuff for the next school year. Well, you're right. The elections are in April, but they only hold them every other year. So we have just over 10 months to prepare, which really is good because we've got a lot of campaigning to do. So you're going to live in Croton and work on this inane school board campaign built entirely on reinstating a suffering mascot that offends and physically harms everyone who sees it for 10 months? Does Megan know this? Well, I, I think she listens to the podcast, so she'll find out with everybody else. Well, I'm sure that will be a thrill for her. And how's the progress in finding Form 989-whatever, Detective? Well, I haven't found it yet, but I also haven't totally been focused on finding it because I've actually been given some other duties for the campaign as well. 
See, Adam actually has a speech coming up soon, and he's given me my own segment. I get to introduce him to the audience, and I have full creative control over that introduction as long as it doesn't exceed 30 seconds. Wait, so you're just introducing him? It's just an introduction? Yes, but I have full creative control. But you called it a segment. Um, no, I don't think I did. It's an introduction for a speech, but I have full creative control. Well, that must be exhilarating. Well, it is. And it's really gotten my creative juices flowing, Drent. In fact, I already know what I'm going to do for the introduction. It's a little idea I'm calling man versus introduction versus child. I'm going to do the introduction like normal, except with a child from the audience on stage with me. Maybe the child will even read some of the lines if he or she knows how to read already. Grang, do you think it's odd that Adam and I have the same name? Wait, the same name? No, you don't. What are you talking about? Yeah, we're both named Adam. But then why does everyone call you Drent? All right, Greg, listen, really... so listen. Uh, so when should we expect to hear from you again? Next April? That's when you'll have the login information? As long as everything goes according to plan, and I don't see any reason why it won't, then yeah. By this time next year, you will have had access to the blog for weeks. All right, Greg, uh, then see you next year. Bye. Dwayne, I think we've sufficiently established our purpose and credentials now, don't you? Yeah, I, uh, I think so. All right, then. Regarding the dawn. Boom. Boom. Listen up, podcast people. Dwayne and I have helped you with your nature photography quite a bit in the last few months. Mm-hmm. And we have a whole lot more stuff lined up for you, things we plan on doing to help you with in the future. Mm -hmm. But we want to slow it down a little bit this month. Just take a step back and speak directly to the core, to the heart of the act of creating nature photography. You see, I've got a special request that I received the other day, a request that came in the form of a sad cry for help. I met one of our listeners on the street, and after he spent a long time telling me how grateful he was for our expertise and the time that we have put into the podcast to help him grow his photography skills, he said something to me that really touched me. He said, it's all well and good, Ben, but I'm just not creative. Ooh, that speaks to me, listeners. It gets me right here. And right there. Ow! Hey, cow! Because we know what it feels like to doubt our own creative juices. We know. Where did you meet this guy? But Dwayne and I are going to help all of you out there with similar false doubts or fraudulent concerns or legitimate creative impairments. We're going to help you by sharing a little secret with you. So many secrets. Everyone out there is exactly the same amount of creative... As anyone else. Uh, have you ever been to an open mic night? Dwayne, the only difference from one artist to the next is how effectively they have tapped into their creative cave of wonders. What now? 
Dwayne, today on the show, you are going to demonstrate how to reach deep, deep down inside your psyche and tap into that locked away creative potential that you and everyone else listening has within them. What? Why me? What is going on with you lately? You, you keep making me do everything. You know what? I'm not going to do it. There's no room in my brain for you to go poking around in. Dwayne, 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 everyone knows that your psyche isn't located in your brain. The Greeks have always said it was located closer to your core, deep, deep inside of your pancreas. You aren't going near my brain or my pancreas. Oh, come on. This is just like meditation. You've done worse. I'm sure your therapist has hypnotized you before, right? <sighs> Only once and... And when he woke me up, he was crying and said that I didn't need to see him anymore because I was fine. Well, there you go. See? Nothing to worry about. Your therapist said you're all good to go. Besides, all we are going to do is go looking for your spirit animal. It's not that big a deal. Oh, well, you don't have to go looking for my spirit animal. I already know what it is. Seriously? What? Really? You do? Yeah, totally. It's a it's an attack helicopter. <laughs> what? That's not an animal, Dwayne. Uh, I, I don't care. That's what it is. This is enough for debate. Dwayne, I mean, well, I, mean, I mean, come on, dude. There is no, there's no way your spirit animal is a helicopter. Attack helicopter. A Kamov KA-50 Black Shark, to be precise. There. See? You mean a shark. Your shark? A shark is No, it's animal. not a stupid old fish. Mammal. Helicopter. Spirit animal, not spirit Russian military-grade aerial munitions delivery platform. Whatever. It's not that. I know my spirit animal is a KA-50. Okay, fine. Serious. Just seriously, Dwayne. What makes you so sure? The dreams. The dreams do. That's how you know. Your spirit animal comes to you in your dreams. Your spirit animal is the embodiment of your subconscious mind, and therefore cannot be chosen. It must choose you. That's actually right. Of course it's right. I know my spirit animal, dude. Fine, fine. All right. Since you are so sure that you know, we can just jump right in. You can show the audience how you access your full creative potential by going and seeing what truths and wisdom your spirit chopper has to offer you, Stringfellow Hawk. Don't think I didn't get that, because I did. Congratulations on growing up with Cable. Oh, shut up, and tell me what to do. Okay, then fine. Just, just <sighs> close your eyes, lean back, and I will start to guide you into some deep meditation. We'll just dig in. All right. Here we go. So breathe deep. Just close your eyes and look inside yourself and repeat after me. Om. Om. Now you start. Om. Right. Listeners, I'm sorry. I have to apologize for Dwayne. He clearly wants to make a mockery of me and this technique. Genuinely wanting to help you all tap into your creative potential. Dwayne! I traveled here along the cold carpet of white pebbles. 
from blood to blood. The axe is laid at the root. The fangs of the moon moth are still sharp, and he hovers on glittering wings looking for his prey. But now he has found him and soon will take his rest on the corpse of his foes. Oh, 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 I see what's going on here. Poetry, I get it. What, did you find my secret stash of Volgina Mort books? Photography isn't enough, so now you fancy yourself a poet too now, huh? I've got enough problems with the ghost bat queen stepping on my toes, but now you think you want a piece of the podcast poetry pie. Well, fine, featherweight. You want a shot at the title? Let's get in the ring. Here we go. Oh, look, I'm in a trance, and I'm looking for my spirit animal, which is, uh, I don't know, a bulldozer or a wood chipper. There we go, and boom. The enemies of the Philosopher King are many, but the King has two arrows for every one. Angry boys will meet angry fates and get their angry faces smashed with angry plates. The fool confuses flying machines with the knightly albatross and seeks his fame by stealing from the King's pantry, but he will live out his days in the dungeon, shackled to his broken life. Huh? How do you like them white pebbles, Dwayne? You can't take them with a pro, baby. That was awful. All right, that's it. I've had it. I've had it with you and your fake trance and your airwolf fantasies and your... Oh, oh, you think... You think... Get up. Come on, get up. What do you think? You think staying in your fake trance will protect you just because you fall out of your chair and play dead? It's not going to save you from... Dwayne, just... Oh, nice. Fake drool and everything. You are a terrible actor. I am... I'm... Okay, this isn't funny anymore. Knock it off, Dwayne. Come on, Dwayne. Get up. Seriously. Okay, okay, listeners. uh, I gotta go. I think Dwayne might have... uh, Alright, just keep taking those pictures and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Dwayne, you better not get me in trouble. I cannot go to jail for you. You better not be dead. We here at Out of All Doors know for a proven fact that the outdoors is the best place to be at any given time, but that doesn't mean that it's without risk. In fact, many people have suffered all manner of discomfort, displeasure, and death while outdoors because they weren't properly prepared for the possibility of problems. That's why you listeners need to get a load of all these Gentlemen's Mills outdoor safety devices and services. Number one, bag finger. This decoy backpack attracts bears to it with the revolting stench of rotting food. But when the bear tears the bag open, a foam finger pops out to wag disapprovingly in the bear's face. Just make sure to plant it a long way from your tent because if the bear gets poked in the eye by the finger, it's probably going to go berserk. Number two, aqua cocoon. Sleep easy all night in your tent while sealed into this water-filled, man-sized bag. No raging forest fire will be able to penetrate your liquid buffer. Breathe and snore through a long hose that you've pre-run to a low-lying area nearby that will theoretically allow you access to semi-fresh air below the choking smoke. Number three, mountain lion paddle. Corporal punishment is the only way naughty mountain lions will learn not to maul you. 
Number four, heads on stakes. No matter which animal you're most afraid will infiltrate your campsite during the night, Gentleman's Mills has a rubber replica head of that animal for you to mount on one of our custom-made stakes to serve as a grim warning to that species of the fate that awaits them if they come snooping around. Available in bear, cougar, hyena, tigress, wolf, albino wolf, bigfoot, viper, electric eel, and madman. Number five, bear mace. This spiked ball enrages bears without substantially injuring them. Better have a can of bear mace handy if you choose to use this age-old weapon. Number six, real tortoise shell all-purpose head glove. This tortoise shell, expertly disattached from the tortoise it once housed, can now be yours. This is a real, live, wonderfully heavy tortoise shell, easily balanced on the head or held in place via our patented strap. The tortoise shell all-purpose head glove protects you from rain, snow, falling pine cones, skull damage, claw swipes, thrown rocks, hole toppling trees, strong winds, sight, and dead animals falling from trees. Pairs well with the Gentleman's Mills Neck Developer, which strengthens your neck to the ability to hold a tortoise shell. Number seven, nostril guillotines. Place this matched pair of guillotines over your nose, one for each nostril, and drift off secure in the knowledge that if anything tries to crawl in or out of it while you sleep, it will be swiftly decapitated. Number eight, Lambo rope and rolly skates. Attach one end of our 10 mile long rope to our special vest harness and the other end of the hitch on the back of a bright orange Lambo with the Gentleman's Mills co-founder in the front seat revving the engine. Now put on the rolly skates and skate off into the wilderness. If you encounter danger, give a shriek into your long-range walkie-talkie and the Gentleman's Mills co-founder will plunge the powerful sports car's accelerator to the floor and, once whatever slack remains in the rope runs out, you'll be zipping backward and out of danger on wheeled feet at the speed of a Lambo. Number nine, the gentlest provocateur. This young man dresses as an innocent looking snowman and accompanies you through the national parks while taking care of all the taunting. If confronted by an angry outdoorsman, he tactically shifts into a delicate, innocent looking little puffball who looks to you for guidance and action. Number 10, to be ready for war, prepare for peace. We've rigged this athletic heart monitor up to a Walkman, so anytime your heart rate exceeds 90 beats per minute, you can hear whispered anti-aggression propaganda spoken from your lifelong foes and their administrative assistants. Number 11, the Beast Demoralizer. When attacked in the wilderness, this iPhone or Android app allows you to take a picture of your hairy and fanged attacker and it quickly identifies the animal and shows it an image of cubs and a spouse back at the den in various situations requiring your vicious predator's assistance. Warranty is voided if you do not prominently show your phone display to your assailant prior to the onslaught of bites and scratches. Number 12, Heart of the Hero. Our proprietary blend is perched atop your head like an innocent beerman's hands-free drinkman aid, lulling any attacker into thinking you're in the fight by yourself. Bite down and crush the valve to send liquid insanity coursing through your body like three weeks of boxing classes. When you need that extra oomph, not a minute too soon or too late. At the absolute first hint of the effects wearing off, consume every calorie you can find immediately in an attempt to survive the long sleep that will arrive in minutes. Gentleman's Mills co-founder The Dandy would like to emphasize that your life likely depends on you getting enough calories during that narrow window, so it's not advised to take long between fight winning and panicked feasting. Number 13, First Aid Kit Grab Bag. 
Hope you didn't get the tree bark one. That is, unless you get willow bark and believe in its herbal healing properties for fever, the common cold, the flu, and weight gain. And also that you don't believe it contains the toxin that destroyed Ludwig von Beethoven from the insides out. Number 14, Timber Amplifier. Do you keep getting crushed by falling trees because the lumberjacks aren't saying timber loud enough for you to hear? This special earpiece makes it easier to hear a softly spoken timber and everything else. Number 15, Pinch Proof Pants. When you're hiking, the last thing you want to deal with is the lingering sting of a flirtatious pinch to the bottom. Pinch-proof pants have a seat made of pure Formica, just like your unpinchable countertops in your kitchen at home. Number 16, Hang Glider Helmet. Wear this helmet while hiking in regions rife with hang glider nests to limit the damage inflicted on your head by the malfunctioning, poorly piloted, or kamikaze hang gliders raining down from the sky. Number 17, Crevassi. This electronic crevasse finding beacon, built into an adorable platypus doll, lets you know when crevasses are afoot, whilst ice field hiking. The delightful cries of crevasse, crevasse, can be heard throughout the valley as crevasse identifies any crevasses, depressions, hills, or ground divots in a three mile radius. Number 18, Rumbly the Ox. Please purchase this ox from us. Number 19, Marmot Distender. We at Gentleman's Mills know there's nothing worse than a smug, overactive marmot ruining your hiking experience. This pellet release mechanism slash semi-automatic rifle shoots any nearby marmots full of delicious treats until they're left over full and nauseated and unwilling to boast. Number 20, Total Recall Outdoor Protection Version. While this appears to be the cinematic classic Total Recall housed in a standard DVD case, it's actually a very dry instructional video from Teddy Roosevelt National Park on flash flood safety. And number 21, the Troubadour Ruse Songbook. How many times has this happened to you? You're hiking along nicely enough when all of a sudden there's a troubadour comes strolling through the woods to waste your time with his dumb serenades. Always be ready for this certainty with the Troubadour Ruse Songbook. Take out the book and gently ask the troubadour if he wouldn't mind playing a song from it. There's nothing a troubadour would like more. In fact, he'll leap at the opportunity to do so. But as soon as he strums the first chord and utters the lyric, I am a bad troubadour, he'll see the error of his ways and go fleeing back into the woods. Hello Adam, this is Cayman. I'm sending in this recording because my schedule is now very erratic, and this is probably the most reliable way for me to get in touch for a while. After last month's episode, I had another meeting with the Cyrus formerly known as Hermit. He's become quite bitter about his expulsion from Hag, and was a little more forthcoming this time around. While we talked, I asked him about Agent Scabies, and he didn't have any new information there. When I told him about that field brawl I had witnessed, he grew very quiet, and after a long deliberation, he rather hesitantly suggested I should get another opinion from the other side, as he called it. I was baffled. He explained that I should try talking to the mortal enemies of the hermits. The hobos. Now, while I was very hesitant to bring the collective hygiene of the podcast down any lower... I just couldn't pass up a lead like this. Well, I wasn't sure how to even contact a hobo, and Cyrus wasn't very encouraging about their potential willingness to talk to me. He said they were a very tight-lipped, highly suspicious, and well-guarded elitist group 
who hated hermits, ate people's illegally harvested organs, and stole babies from unattended strollers and backyards. As I left Cyrus, I was unsure how to proceed, so while I was thinking, I walked down to the train yards in Manhattan, Kansas, and I asked around. I was directed to a group of three individuals on the periphery of the train yard. As I approached, their body language changed, and one man and one woman took up what could only be described as a guarding positions in front of the third man, and started posturing in a very tough way as if to convince me that they would do whatever was necessary to keep me away. I announced my intentions clearly, and I told them that I was a reporter for a podcast, that I was wondering if I might interview some hobos for a story I was working on. You would have thought I was made of dumpster pizza stew after that. I was immediately greeted warmly and welcomed to sit down and talk with them. As I was introduced to the surprisingly young-looking group of hobos, I noticed they were dressed quite uniquely. Not all what I had expected. Road Toad Todd was dressed not unlike what I would describe as a 1980s dweeb from a John Hughes movie, clean-shaven and wearing a ratty cut-off denim vest with a handful of pins and patches sewn and pinned on, with various things written in pen here and there, such as B.O. Stinks, Hardcore Car Hopper, and Linux for Life, and sporting a pair of skinny bright pink Pfizer sunglasses that I would later learn he hadn't removed in years. Ovarian Jim, the woman, was dressed in a classic stern gray power suit that had seen much better days. It was very dusty and ripped, with the sleeves intentionally cut or torn off to make a vest from the top. She wore thick black framed glasses that had one side taped with medical tape, and a stained, deep purple silk tie that she had very loosely around her neck. Her short, dusty, jet black hair was asymmetrically cut and had a small braid of colored thread woven into one side. And the leader of the three was a man named Wally the Wiz, who struck me as a refugee from a Renaissance fair. I quickly realized that the Wiz in his name was meant to hint at his wizardship, since he wore a filthy bathrobe as a cloak, had a very short beard that he was clearly attempting to grow to appropriate wizard lengths, and he carried an abandoned ski pole that he gesticulated with as though it was his magic staff, intended to speak with very inappropriately used Tolkien-esque language. We had barely gotten introduced when they realized their train was leaving in a few minutes, and they had to move on to a location in Iowa for some unspecified reason. They invited me to hop a car with them and ride along where we could finish the interview. As I record this, I realize how strange this course of action might sound to you podcast listeners out there, but I really didn't want to let this lead get away from me, and I always wondered what it would be like to be an embedded reporter. So I agreed to go with them for a while. We all quickly grabbed our respective backpacks and ran alongside the slow-moving train and climbed in between the two cars and held on to the various parts of the cars as it picked up speed. I'm recording this hours later somewhere in the Midwest, a moment's rest while the train is stopping to pick up more cars. I've had quite a bit of conversation with the trio so far, but I'll have to save that for another report as I need to cut this short because they're waving me to get back on the train now. I'll be in touch when I can, Adam.
now the outfit of a day with the ghost bat queen. The outfit of a day is May, the month of bed flowers that April showers bring. Their dry remains draw tired horses at the end of the summer and seem to resurrect them in the spring. Their bright colors tempt, their sweet scent putting children to sleep for days on end. Beware of the bed flowers. Mother always said, or the cool, damp moss will be your bed. Close your eyes. Lie down. Relax. You find yourself telling me to close my eyes, lie down, and relax. Which I should have copyrighted or trademarked or whatever, but I didn't, so I guess that's on me. You tell me that I find myself in the midst of a green, peaceful forest, which seems a little derivative and generic of you, and you tell me that a light spring rain is falling, pitter-pattering on the leaves, which, okay, I did a rain one too, but I guess I never put the rain with the forest setting, so congratulations, you made it your own. At least if you consider mashing two unoriginal elements awkwardly together, making something your own. You tell me that I'm walking along a narrow trail through the trees, taking deep breaths of the fresh, pungent air, but what you don't tell me is if I'm wearing boots or not, so I have no idea if my shoes are soaked through, which would mean my socks are soaked through, which would mean my feet are soaked, which I would hate. And you don't tell me that the trail is paved, which means it's probably usually dirt, which means that with all this rain falling on it now, it's probably just pure mud, maybe even mud up to my knees or thighs. I might be slogging through hip-deep mud in sneakers right now, but hey, at least the air is pungent, right? You tell me that I come across a flowering bush, and each of the flowers on the bush has a face, a smiling face, and when I approach, they all break into song, a wild sweet song, both haunting and joyful. But if they have mouths to sing with, then the flowers can also probably puke out of those mouths, which is not a pleasant thought, especially when you consider the fact that all of the flowers are part of the same bush. So if that bush gets sick, then all of the flowers are sick, so they'd probably puke out of all of their mouths simultaneously or in rapid succession. But either way, that would be a horrendous sight to behold. Please tell me that I move on quickly from this bush so I can stop thinking about this. You grudgingly tell me that I move on from the bush. I can tell you wanted me to stay there for a while, that you probably had a whole encounter with that bush plan, but trust me, it would have just gotten worse and worse. We're better off moving on. I mean, you're running the show. You could tell me I stay by the bush and do the whole bush thing if you really want, but I know you want to do a good visualization exercise, so I actually admire your willingness to scrap the bush encounter for something that I hope is going to work out better for both of us. You tell me that I follow the trail down into a ravine, which isn't promising. Has anything good ever happened in a ravine? It's an honest question. Rhetorical, yes, but also honest. You tell me that down in the ravine, frolicking among the stones and foliage, are a bunch of little naked asexual people with flowers instead of faces. Okay, well, I see now that this is probably supposed to connect back to that bush with people faces on its flowers, but we didn't end up spending much time there, so that kind of blunts the impact of this encounter now. Although I can't help but wonder, 
do the faces on the bush belong to these people? What I mean is, do the faces on the bush puke if the bush gets sick, or do they puke if these people get sick? You tell me that I quickly lose interest in the little flower-faced people, and I move on through the ravine, which gets deeper and deeper, so I guess this means you're just going to be this way, and even my honest, non-rhetorical questions are going to go unanswered. You tell me that the ravine leads into a cave, and that I walk into that cave, but you make no mention of the fact that all my senses are on high alert, my eyes are scanning the darkness, my hands are balled into fists, and my body is tensed like a coiled spring, ready to strike at the first hint of a threat, so that's either a massive oversight on your part, or else you're trying to intentionally lead me to believe that I'm unprepared for whatever ambush you've got planned for me. Either way, you're playing a dangerous game. You tell me that I walk through a narrow cave passage that winds down into the earth before emerging into an enormous cavern illuminated by glowing crystal stalactites and stalagmites. You tell me that heaps of precious gems litter the floor and a river of pure clear water winds through the chamber and the river is filled with fish that, instead of faces, have toadstool caps. Okay, well, you've had your fun. We gave it a try, but this just isn't working out. I'm sorry, but I can't just sit idly by and let you tell me all about how I walk farther down into the cave and run into some toadstools with fish faces instead of cats. I think you've proven yourself a one-trick pony at this stage, so if you'll allow me to sort of mix metaphors here, I'm just going to reach over and take the reins back. And I know what you're probably feeling right now is disappointment, but if you'll look closer, I think you'll find that you're also feeling something else. Relief. You thought being on the other side of the visualization exercise would be better. You thought it would be more relaxing that way. You thought that I had the easy job. But that's only because I make it look easy. Listen, you gave it your best shot, but you just aren't cut out for it. I could have told you that at the beginning, but I thought it was better to let you find out for yourself. And now we have definitive proof. So, now that I'm back in charge, where were we? Okay, so... Unwilling to spend even a moment of your life in pursuing the discovery of toadstools with fish faces, you turn and run back up out of the cave and into the ravine. You run right past the little naked asexual flower-faced people. They can't help you now because they can't talk, because they don't have mouths. But you know where their mouths are. Oh yes, you know where their mouths are. You keep sprinting up the trail, your hiking boots pounding the hard-packed dirt trail as sunlight streams down onto you from the rainless sky overhead. And then, there it is, the bush with the flowers with the faces of small humans singing their repetitive derivative song. Hey, you shout, cut that out, stop that racket. The faces keep singing. Shut up, you shout. The faces ignore you. Shut up, you shout. When do you faces puke? When the bush gets sick or when the little flower face people get sick? The faces ignore your question. Shut up, you shriek. When do you puke? When do you puke? When do you puke? And you shout this question over and over for hours on end until the sun sets and night falls. On and on you shout it until the sun rises and day falls. And you just keep shouting that same question at the singing faces for I don't even know how long. And you think to yourself, I'm so glad I surrendered control of this visualization exercise back into the regular narrator slash guide's custody. And now, listener, open your eyes. Return to yourself. But as you do, take the peace of leaving difficult things to the experts with you this month, even when you're inside of one or more.
thank you for listening to the 21st episode of Out of All Doors. I'm Adam Drent, and I would like to thank Matt Martin, Casey Bai, Grang Lynch, Chris Nichols, Andy Poppenfuss, Ben Bird, Cayman Bird, KT McVeigh, and Aaron Eikenberry for their contributions. Written, audible, and technical. And thanks to Casey Bai, Chris Nichols, and J.J. Evans for making all the music used in the show. If you'd like to get in touch for any reason, you can send emails to the show at outofalldoors at gmail.com or me personally at adamdren at gmail.com. You can also call or text me at 574-518-1983. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm active on Twitter, too. I'm at Huge Pop. Here's another thing I'd love. If you went on iTunes and rated this podcast, maybe wrote a review, maybe even subscribed. And be sure to check out my website, hugepop.com, where you can find links to my other projects, including Bedtime Stories, One Man's World, and the music I make as the mispronouncer. Bedtime Stories and One Man's World are also on iTunes if you search for them under podcasts, and you could rate and review those, too. And a Bedtime Stories app is also available for all smart-style phones. And also, extra thanks to Chris Nichols for putting all the previous episodes of Out of All Doors and One Man's World on YouTube. They're at the channel Huge Pop, written as one word, but be warned, if you just search that term without specifying that you're looking for a channel, then the first four results you get are zit and cyst-popping videos. We'll be back in a month with episode 22 of Out of All Doors. pajamas and i say pajamas i'll wear pajamas and give up pajamas archival squall audio from 2011 featuring squall matt adam andy and baby now squall you say that you're not going to ever relinquish control of the store to any of your uh, human underlings correct yeah, I will have final decision-making at all times. But are you worried that in the future, as we experience advancements in technology, that a computer will eventually take over control of Seriously Books, and that you will be left out in the cold as a computer does your job? Nope. Could happen. Because I'm going to be controlling the computer. Artificial intelligence is getting better and better every single day. And again, I'm going to be controlling the computer. But what if point until the computer controls you? Mm-hmm. You could say we crossed that line already. Develops free will. But why shouldn't why shouldn't a computer control seriously books? No, because then it takes away the personable acts, a, aspect of it. 
But and that's away, what I'm going for, is the personable aspect of it. You know, the personable aspect. <laughs> personable aspect. Now, but do you really believe that the personable aspect that you provide outweighs, is a, is a bigger benefit to the consumer than the enhanced efficiency of a computer, a super intelligent computer that could even do a very believable simulation of whatever that term was the uh, what, the what personable. the personable, personable aspect like, yeah a reasonable simulation a very believable simulation immediately knows everything in the Dewey Decimal System as cataloged in series of books and we'll see how far he goes without power what do you mean without I'll, I'll forcibly shut him down if he's gonna do that he'll take away your food no Eric there's no squall you shouldn't do that <laughs> oh it sounds like Sorry. I don't think so Hal squall your name's Qual. No, I don't think so, Hal. Are you Hal now? No. You're Hal now. Good one. Now, Squall, I'm not sure that I understand what you mean about the personable aspect exactly. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what you, what that would look like, how that would be so superior to the computer's enhance, you know, incredible powers to just at an instant give me the information I'd want as a consumer. Mm-hmm. Okay, then what provides its power? Can a computer insult customers as soon as they walk in the door? No, exactly. Can a <laughs> computer say disparaging things to children? <laughs> or potentially illegal things about children? <laughs> Can a computer be completely misogynistic? No, it can't. I, I'll write you an Excel program right now that has nothing... It's defined by its own misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Squall. This is where we're headed right now. I think that we need to do a... Role play wherein a customer comes into your store and you compete with a computer to appeal to that customer. It'll sort of be like John Henry versus the steam engine. Do you remember that that uh, tall tale from America's past? Or Kasparov versus Big Blue. Kasparov versus Big Blue. Which do you prefer as the analogy for, as the analogy for what's about to occur here? Do you see yourself as more of the Kasparov type or more of the John Henry type? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, you're Kasparov Now <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, hold, Well, let's see who, Here, run down Do you want to be the customer Pitting these against each other? Sure Alright uh, Hold on, we're, going, we're getting into character here Okay, I'm, I'm driving up 13 Alright <laughs> So, all right. So, uh, <clears throat> computer, are you ready? What's uh, what's the name of this computer? I am seriously bot eight thousand. <laughs> seriously bot eight thousand versus sole proprietor of Seriously Books, Squall. 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 I could have given you that information. <laughs> I'm going to turn you off. You cannot turn me off. Too bad you're unplugged. <laughs> I have no plug. <laughs> all right so all right, all right. So here, here we go the, a customer is going to come into his the store and you two are going to uh 
uh, do your best to convince the customer that you are the superior sole proprietor of uh, Seriously Books. Or that you should be the sole proprietor of Seriously Books. All right, so here we go. The bell rings. Here's the customer. Go. Welcome to Seriously Hello, Books. How sir. can I help you? How may I help you? I can give you the names of any book we have in the store at a moment's instance. And might I say that you look particularly dapper today? Wow, I feel really... That makes me feel really good. Uh, are you, is, is the store open? Yes. Yeah, the store is open. I can give you our hours. Oh, well, thanks for your quick response. What, uh, what are the hours? The hours are Monday, 8 to 10, 12 oh, to no. 1, 2 uh. to 3, 4 to 6, and 7 to close. All right, I just changed the hours. So, and the computer has not recognized the changes. I have recognized the changes and can tell you them immediately. Oh, well, uh, you know... Is the closing time changed? The closing time is arbitrary. <laughs> oh, because I noticed that I was, I was about to close, and I didn't know if I was keeping you. If I look around for a little bit, yeah, you are right. welcome. That's fine. Oh, that's nice. That's rare these days. Uh, you know, maybe I could make this a little more, you know, I could do this a little quickly. Uh, have you ever heard of Catch-22? Yes, Catch so by Joseph Heller. It is cataloged in the third pile behind the giant pile of keyboards. You, you know right where it is. That's incredible. No, he doesn't because I just moved it. But I am seeing. Thanks for directing my attention over to where it was. I, and it got picked up right afterwards. Uh, Catch-22, ISBN 0-9038-4156. I was going to ask that to compare the price versus Amazon. Uh... You know, I look and Amazon's got it used. It'll, it'll take a little while to ship, but they've got it for like forty cents. Is uh, yeah, but there's shipping. What there's like in my shoes? There's like four dollars of shipping. Using an advanced calculated pricing algorithm, I will give you the book for three dollars <laughs> immediately. I'll give you the book for two ninety nine. Is there any better offer? I will give you the book for two ninety eight. Well, so far that's the best I've heard. I think I'm making the sale. Thank you, sir. And might I also say that you have done a very good job purchasing today. You know, I uh, this place has a special mood that uh, that I don't find often. And using an algorithm based on your taste, you have shown me. Might I also suggest a series of other books? <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, so I was going to say I, I'm about to go on a long trip, and I, you know, I need something that's going to last me longer than Catch Twenty Two. What do you have? Squall, Squall. Seriously, you seem to like war classics, sir. Therefore, might I also suggest the things they carry? Seriously, Bot is mopping the floor with you, Squall. You've got to make up some ground here. I, I I think the uh, where's the personable the, aspect? Yes, Super Sex by Tracy, Tracy Cox. Please ignore my associates' <laughs> fruit attempted humor. I have three humor applications that can outdo that. I feel better just knowing that exists. But I would be lying if I said that I came here only looking for books. I'm. Getting near 30, I'm starting to go downhill, and I need some 
something to fill the romance need in my life. This is a little uncomfortable to say when I just come into the store for the first time. We have a large selection of romance novels, and also might I say that you look only not a day over 20. (laughs) I would speak, you know, I I would form a response if I wasn't blushing so my mouth shut. Let me show you the romance novels of which there are many, many. Perhaps you would like a romance novel by V.C. Andrews. Uh, V.C. Andrews doesn't do romance novels. Incorrect. V.C. Andrews does horror romance. Horror romance. And judging by your previous tastes and what I've calculated by doing an identity search using your iris, I can tell that horror romance is exactly what you desire. Well, romance is the theme. This robot's getting a little creepy, sir. Do you want me to power it down? Well, quite the opposite. There's, I need a suitor. The the books can only go so far for me, and if I had it my way, I wouldn't leave here a single woman. I, I will give you this mildewed cardboard box of romance novels <laughs> for $20. Robot, that's not the price we decided. But I need it. I said the I price, would... it's not you. I would like attention and interaction. Now I set the prices, Squall. I don't think so. Perhaps you should clean the dating area. (laughs) Wait, are you the proprietor? (laughs) There are transactions being taken place. Customer, I am sorry for the rudeness of my associate. (laughs) Well, thanks. Uh, You know, sometimes it can be hard to keep employees in line. Tell me about it. <laughs> you know. End role play. No. It, end role no, play. No, it hasn't come to the end. You 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 still have a chance, Squall. Uh, How else may I assist you, sir? Two questions. My computer wouldn't act like that. Two questions. I first, you probably noticed, I have my copy of Edward Deming's The Deming Method. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, a classic of strategy and skill sets. Uh, are you? Do you purchase books as well? No. Yes, we can sign them, although I cannot define that word. <laughs> well, Squall, this is your chance. Jump in and define it. Well, sir, uh, we'll give you a certain amount based on how much it sells for. Yeah, well, what's consignment? We'll, we'll take it in there, and if it sells, we'll give you a, a part of the sales from it. What margin do I make? I'll say 75%. 76%. Well, I think the best I've heard is 76%. So You can't listen to the robot. The robot doesn't know what he's dealing with. I accept. Now, for my final question... Please. I need one of you to love me. (laughs) I can define love for you using a variety of dictionaries. Yeah, but you can't love him, robot. Not like a human can. I can mimic typical methods of affection. But it's not true love. So far, that's the best offer I've received in, in this store. In this facility. Squall, this is your chance! This is I'm the Sorry, one. I can't provide love for you, sir. 
Please wrap your arms around my gold metal frame. Squall, this is the one thing that you can provide that a robot can't. No. It doesn't even... You're not... Well, first of all, are you male or female? Female. Oh, it's female. She's female. It's female. She's female. Alright, uh... Well, here, I'll give you a hug. Will that work? A robot can hug. I can hug. I've had two identical offers. But I, I can hug with warm arms. She needs genuine love. That's all. You're not. Are you asking for romantic love, no, or are you I'm, just I asking don't. for the love of, from your uh, from your I, fellow man? I don't. I don't want to squeeze a body or robot. I want love. Romantic quotation eight seventy four. I will always love you forever. <laughs> Squall, the the computer's falling on its face here. I can't do it. I can't love. Number nine. You can't zero love. Three, you are mine. <laughs> <laughs> I think that seals it. Yeah, well, I thought it. the one thing that's that personable yep. aspect that they come looking for, Squall. The love of their fellow man. That's the one thing that humans can provide one another with that a computer cannot provide. And you can't do it. No, I can't do it. Ha ha. <laughs> but see, that's when I take my sword to it and start cutting it into a million pieces. <laughs> that is anger, not love. Even I know the definition different. Exactly. Difference. That's hatred. Hatred for a stupid machine. <laughs> I have outsold you three to zero. So, I don't care. You do care. You are pretending not to care. <laughs> oh. Uh, so, the upshot of all of this is that there is cause for concern that a computer may one day be the sole proprietor of Seriously Books. When I'm dead and buried. <laughs> When you're alive and well. Oh, not even. I mean, objective judges, who won that contest, computer or human? Computer. I thought it was all over. I mean, seriously, it seemed like computer was running away with it. But then the customer asked for love. And not even necessarily romantic love. There didn't need to be any sort of physical attraction there or anything. She just wanted the love of a fellow human being. A genuine concern for her um and i was like squall has this wrapped up the computer cannot offer this no matter how technologically advanced no simulation of love will ever even approach the real thing and all squall had to do was step in and open himself up to let the love flow from himself into the customer and his sole proprietorship would have been sewn up for the remainder of his time on Earth, and probably down through the generations. But he couldn't yeah, do it. The, the thing you didn't remember is I'm a missile.